Well, thanks, Mariana, for showing up and talking with me. Um, pretty excited to have you here. Thanks for having me, Biden. My first PyCon was the second PyCon, I think it was 2017, or yeah, it was the second one in Portland. And I think mm-hmm. you gave a talk um, about there, about uh, uh, your entrance into being a core contributor and stuff like that. And it was really very inspiring. But since then, uh, maybe before, but you've given a lot of different talks and been involved with PyCon. Um, it's, it's pretty cool. And are you, you're, you're still working or you not working really, but you still contribute as a core contributor as well, right? I'm still, well, I still have my commit, right? As Python core developer, um, I'm still involved right now. I'm involved in the documentation community group. It's a new, um, work group that we created where okay. we focus on improving documentation like the cpython documentation itself we have several team members and some of our focus is we started talking about diataxis documentation um we've improved some of the toolings i know people have been improving the toolings the documentation theme we're thinking about having some kind of editorial team to to really improve the content of Python documentation. Oh, and cool. also I've I've also been helping, like I've maintained the, the GitHub bots that we have. I, I wrote a few of them. Um we have we have these GitHub bots since before there were GitHub actions and and so we have legacy infrastructure. <laughs> but they still work, so I, I help with the workflow, the core workflow. That's what we call it. So GitHub, I'm, I guess I've never written a GitHub bot. What is no? How does a GitHub bot fit within like a GitHub Actions uh, environment? Or so with GitHub bots, basically it works through GitHub webhooks. So okay. we we need to spin up our own web server. Um, right now they're on Heroku basically. So we have a web 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 surface that receives webhooks from GitHub and then based on these different webhooks, we we run we call GitHub APIs. And the framework for this is the Git AIO HTTP web surface. So it's async IO, async web server. And also we use Git GitHub library which is um, an async.io library that Brad Cannon initially wrote for working with GitHub APIs. <clears throat> so, okay, yeah, and I've, I've used, so when I was learning how to build GitHub bots, like there was, I didn't know how it works. And actually I, I talked a little bit about this in my talk, there's an API for that. Like I didn't know how it works. Uh, when I joined the when joined the Python team, at that time we just started moving from the bugs.python bugspython.org into GitHub. So we are still in like there are still lots of workflow improvement to be done. One of them is one of the things that Brad wanted to do is 
build more automation on GitHub, build build some bots. So I became interested. I learned how to do it by using by seeing what bots we have there. And I realized, well, there was no tutorials on how to do this yet in Python using GitHub. So I decided I'm going to write a tutorial about it. <laughs> so I ended up writing and giving tutorial about GitHub bots at PyCon US. So that was cool. <clears throat> and because I've, I've used this library a lot, I contribute to GitHub and eventually Brett just say, okay, yeah, I'll add you as, the main, as a co-maintainer here <laughs> to the okay. project. So that, that's how I became a co-maintainer of an open source project. Oh, that's pretty cool. Yeah. Um, uh, neat. And uh, you, you're in Vancouver, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, oh, Brett, Brett's in Vancouver too. Um, yeah. <clears throat> nice. Uh, and then also, you're involved with uh, uh, Pi Ladies, both in Vancouver and uh, in the kind of global Pi Ladies. Is that right? Yeah. I so I think a few years ago it's been a while back like i i just moved to vancouver and i didn't know a lot of people i didn't i wasn't involved in the community and then i heard about by ladies vancouver so i joined and they were looking for new organizers so i thought i'm gonna sign up <laughs> and it's been I've been involved ever since, and I've also been involved with the Global Pi Ladies as as an administrator. Um, if if people know the story of Pi Ladies, it like it was started by um, nine people in LA area. Um, Audrey Roy Greenfield was one. Esther Nam was another. There there are so many other people. Um, but for for a while, even though there are many PyLadies chapters all over the world, the main people who has like commit rights to GitHub or the ones who have access to the PyLadies inbox was only like two three people. So back in twenty nineteen, we we met like uh, we met at PyCon US like different. By ladies leaders from all over the world, like we ask how we can help. So I, I also signed up to offer my help. And this was one of the responsibilities I ended up <clears throat> taking on. Or, or maybe I should also say what Pay Ladies is about. It's a global mentorship group for women and those who are underrepresented in the community. And our goal is not only to have more women using Python, but also for women to participate and take active leadership in the Python communities, not just as a user, but also as as a speaker or as maintainer, as creators and leaders. So that is the mission of PyLadies. Oh, that's wonderful. Um... That's great. Uh, I, I, I think having Audrey or somebody else, one of the other uh, 
starting people up on to talk about some of the the roots at the beginning might be a cool thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and I love that. So there's always there's. I can't remember. So isn't the Pi Ladies, is that what the, the auction's about usually at PyCon? Yes. The, the, or is that something else? I don't, that is Pi Ladies auction at PyCon US. And I don't run okay. those. Um, you might want to talk to Lynn for sure. Lynn, Jackie Kazil, Lynn Root and Jackie Kazil. <clears throat> okay. So. I think they can give more information. So basically, it is to raise fund for the Pi Ladies. Okay. For Pi Ladies group. And then uh, you um, uh, you uh, mentioned also um, uh, not online yet, but uh, Pi Ladies Con. Is there a is there a convention just for Pi Ladies, or is that? Yeah, this is a brand new. It's, it's a conference for Pi Ladies. And we will have it in December of this year. So what is that? Four more months from now. <laughs> December second okay. one December one to three, uh, in the weekend. And we're gonna host it uh, on different time zones for it's really the goal is to be inclusive for everybody all over the world. Okay. So it's, is that a, um, a virtual conference then? It's a virtual conference, and it will be free to attend with the option to donate. Um, oh, cool. We're, we're trying to get sponsorships. Um, Naomi Cedar is one of the organizers, and she's also she's involved in the sponsorship aspect of it. Oh. Um, we're, we're still setting up the website, but we, we now have, the call for proposals going on. We are looking for lots of talks and we really want to show our, we really want to highlight that we have members all over the world who speaks different languages. So we want to have talks not only in English, but also in different languages. Um, I can't pronounce the, the different languages names like French, Okay. Spanish, Portuguese, and a Chinese. <clears throat> I actually so. just um, so I just uh, we haven't aired it yet, but I just talked with Naomi this week, mm. and um, she's she speaks so many like la- well, I guess not. There are people that speak like gobs of languages, but I speak one. Yeah, and so Naomi speaks por- uh, Portuguese mm-hmm. and Spanish and uh, even Greek, a little Greek. That's pretty cool. Mm. Um. um but it's a very cool person also. Um, yeah. I, I want to get to know you a little better. One of the fun things that you do is um, that you've done, and I even saw that you had some stickers around this at, at uh, Pi Cascades, is the typo of the day. Um, mm-hmm. So could you tell me more about how, what, uh, how this started and how it got so big? I don't know how it got so big. Like I actually, I tried to look at my my Twitter posts, but ever since the beginning, I have typos. I think one of the earliest that I shared, it didn't have the typo of the day hashtag. I just had my most embarrassing typo. Like I typed bum in the oven. I I was texting my husband 
who works from home, I check, I ask him like, can you put the buns in the oven so it will be ready when I come home? <laughs> But instead of buns, it says bums in the oven. A B-U-M-S. Um, yeah, B-U-M. So that's funny. That that's one of the first one that I shared. Um, but at that, I guess at the time I was quite unknown. <laughs> It didn't go viral or anything. But I continued sharing my typos. Like one day, it was I want to type ice cream on my phone. It came out ice dream. I thought yeah. that's that's funny. But that's that could be a real world too, right? <laughs> yeah. But it's it starts going from there. I don't even know. Like somehow, somehow I made typos, real typos. They re, they are I something I type out, and then when they come out, I thought this could be a world. <laughs> like, um, and then I I continued sharing. I started using type of the day heading um as a way to like you know this is a highlight of my day it's stupid but also <laughs> it's, it's funny <laughs> um somehow like yeah somehow when people saw like maybe i did it a little bit a lot that people started to realize when they made typos they share it with me they say hey marietta <laughs> Here's my type of the day. So I didn't think I created anything, but I was really happy that people associated typos with me. So I thought, <laughs> all right, maybe this is my thing now. <laughs> Let's do type of the day <laughs> as a as a as a meme. Oh, so, that's that's cool. Um, yeah, but, I, the, <laughs> but then, but then. Also, what what made you think to be kind of fun to uh, draw pictures around them and and make stickers? I've been so first of all, I didn't draw them. Like so, I commissioned people on um, Fiverr. I don't know how to pronounce it. I I uh, I don't know how to draw. So <laughs> I but I have a, a vision. Like I want. I've been thinking about this. Like, I want to have some kind of stickers or something to, I don't know, just just to represent the, this type of something yeah. I can market somehow. Um, so I, I I commissioned people for it, but I thought it's it's a good way to share this for to people, something to look at. Something to give you chuckles. <laughs> yeah. Well, and I yeah. think I have a, a different laptop cover than I had at um, at Pi Cascades. I think so. I'm gonna have next time I meet up with you. Hopefully, you'll have a couple stickers I can grab from you because I think yeah. they're cute. <laughs> yes, right. It's I. Yes, I do have lots of stickers. And if you happen, anyone happen to meet me. I might not be like maybe I didn't advertise it well, but I will have type of the day stickers with me. If you like it, just ask. <laughs> okay. You also you said you keep a freshwater aquarium at home. Yeah. So the 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 aquarium, the fish, is the only kind of pet that I can keep <laughs> that fits my lifestyle. <laughs> I can't. I can't have cats because I'm I'm allergic 
but also like my husband and I we travel a lot so we can't leave pets at home um but with an aquarium I can have it automated so like I just went on a, a trip like away for we went like nobody was at home for three weeks and the fish are still alive I think we lost one or two but overall it's still functioning it's still alive and they're they're actually for me I find it fun and soothing just looking at them um I think the researcher they they realized that looking at nature including like fish aquarium with the plants yeah animals moving around it it brings you like some kind of calm it gives you this kind of um effect to to give calming effect and that's why in dentist offices you will see they some of them they have aquarium i've been to dentist office that don't have aquarium but they have a big tv and it just plays Fish. Um, videos of the ocean oh, okay. <laughs> yes with fish right you saw them you know yeah yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah. that's the um, reason to make you calm <laughs> before this surgery. okay um, but you you say uh you so do you automate the feeding also then well i didn't well i not that i i automate i didn't write any code but there are automated feeders you can buy oh, i buy okay. them from amazon that you put the the you you put the fish food in and then you can schedule it to to drop food twice even like even day. like a few weeks that's pretty cool yes it lasts a few weeks it's it's a big capacity um yeah. it lasts long and, and the battery lasts for a few months so i don't need to recharge it for <laughs> for a few months and you set up a like a camera or something so that you can watch them even when you're not there or is that still active I, or was that just an experiment? That was an experiment. I need to fix the code. I found a bug, like my API token expired. <laughs> <laughs> and I didn't have a way to refresh my API token. So it, hmm. it lasts for 10 days, I guess. That's when the token expired. But I, I do plan to set it up next time I'm traveling. So like I, I wanted to, yeah, to check up on them while I'm away. Huh. I set up a, a webcam, just a regular webcam, the same webcam I'm using for my meetings on computer, connected it to a Raspberry Pi, which I just got. And I, I wrote Python code um, to capture to capture pictures. So I put it in front of the aquarium. Um, it- that's pretty cool. I was just thinking about like uh, a lot of the people that make, that do, I don't know. I, so I re- I've written a ton, especially for work and, and, and home stuff. I've written a ton of automated little scripts and stuff and, and uh, other, other bits of code outside of the, the, the large projects that I've worked on. But the, um, it's just something else. It's one of those things is that I forget about afterwards until afterwards is, is now I have something else to maintain. Yet another piece mm-hmm. of software that needs maintenance. <laughs> yeah, so, yeah. Um, the yeah. you uh, in so I, I, the the whole peaceful thing. I get that, except for 
I've got, so I don't have fish, but we do have um, cats and three birds. Um, and either one of them may be peaceful on their own, but having them together, um, the peacefulness is out the window. They they squawk <laughs> at each other and stuff like that. Uh, but um, but I have there's no animals out. Well, I have a, out outside we've got a garden and a pond with a little waterfall thing, and oh. that's very peaceful. I like to go. Out there. Oh yeah, the waterfall is good. Yeah, and the pond. And, and I uh, totally can can see how birds and cats. <laughs> well, <laughs> I can imagine not, the chaos. <laughs> so it's not as bad as that. I thought it was going to be terrible. We actually kind of rescued these birds from from some oh. friends that couldn't uh, couldn't keep them. But we had them, and the, I would roll them in the office at night because then then and separate the cats and the birds. And after about a year of that, it just got old. Um, and so we gradually tried to have them together more and watch them. And everybody's good except for them. We got a new cat. And he's he's not he doesn't try to attack them, but he likes to sit on top of their cage. And when he jumps mm. up there, it, it rocks back and forth. And all the bird lovers out there are probably going to like send me hate mail and say this is awful <laughs> that you let your cat sit up there. But that that the sitting up there isn't the problem. It's the jumping up and he rattles the cage. Um, so yeah, yeah. <laughs> I but, can imagine the birds are gonna be like so stressful. <laughs> <laughs> no, they're okay. We we put a little okay. cover. They they don't really see them up there too much. Oh, anyway. okay. <laughs> um, uh, anyway, um, I one of the th- I love. <laughs> you mentioned that you are a a foodie, and I am definitely think of myself as a foodie. Also, except for uh, my my love for food does not extend. Uh, I guess it exceeds my budget. I guess uh, well, that's what I'd like to say. Um, <laughs> I would love it if I could eat at a fine restaurant every night, um, except for the drive to Portland. Every like, I'm only 20 minutes out, but still, uh, I don't want to drive in there every night. But, um, uh, but I so I do like to cook and everything. So do you, um, do you like to cook also, or I just I don't know. I somehow have this obsession with food. I just I love them. I eat them. I cook, but. I what I enjoy about cooking is not cooking every day. It's boring. What yes. what I like is like I saw something on TV or something like maybe I watch a TV show that features a food. Oh, if, if I watch Korean drama and they start eating Korean food, that I would like. I want to go to Korean restaurant eat. <laughs> That's the kind of people I am. But I enjoy looking something and I thought, oh, I want to try to replicate it. I'm going to cook this. So I'm going to research lots of different recipes, compare them and and then try to cook it myself. So that's the kind of cooking I enjoy doing, like trying yeah. something new, like trying recipes. I also really like baking, although it's not, um, I like doing it, but I can't do it often <laughs> there's too much sweets it's, it's not good for health Got nobody touching the food <laughs> uh, what ty- what kind of baking um like pies or cakes or yeah i i these days i make muffins at least that's what my my kids like okay. cakes i enjoy making as well um how have you, have you... <laughs> <laughs> I made 
bread. <laughs> oh, really? But, yeah, I That's cool. not anymore now, but I huh. used to. I know it's so like. Mm-hmm. I, I've, I've, apparently, I waited until after like the COVID cliche of uh, everybody making bread at, during COVID. Um, I, I I've got a neighbor that makes sourdough, so I don't need to do that. But I might try okay. it. But anyway, the yeah. thing I'm trying to do is, um, and I, I don't know why it took me so long because it's not that, it's well, it's not that time consuming. I I'm trying to make pizza dough, um, okay. so that we can cook our own pizza at home. And the first, the, the first, I've only done it a couple times so far, and I think I need to find a new recipe because they're too thick, and I want the thinner crust. So mm-hmm. I'm still working on it. Um, but but I do make a lot of scones. Uh, I like scones. Oh yeah yeah yeah, those are good. Those um, are good. You say you know the for example, I uh, the history of tempura. Um, yeah, you, it's interesting, right? That's the kind of thing I like, like researching about food. Well, I love it. Just like what? Well, so tempura, if I get this right, it's the stuff that where it's like uh, something breaded, like a vegetable or anything breaded and then fried, right? Is that right. Kind of what yeah, it is? like it's like fritters. It's coated. Um, it's a Japanese dish. It's, you will find this in. You go to Japanese restaurants. They will have shrimp tempura or vegetable tempura. So deep fried something. <clears throat> um, so the interesting is this. This is not purely Japanese. It came from Portuguese missionaries when they visited Japan in the 16th century. Like the Portuguese has a kind of dish called a fritter deep fried something so before before that in japan i guess they did fry things but without any coating they just fry it and this got introduced by the portuguese and actually the name tem- tempura comes from i guess it's from um it's a spanish or latin or Portuguese word, I think it's even the same, like tempora, which means ember days, which is like a Christianity thing, it's something they eat during this okay. ember days period. That's the na- that's where the name come from. <laughs> so I found it interesting. interesting. It, it's like they they take influences from other co- other countries and then make it their own. That becomes their own specialty. And one interesting thing that I read about it is that back then, Japanese people, they were not allowed to do deep frying at home. They're not allowed to serve deep fried food at home because it's fire hazard. And at that time, their house are made of paper. <laughs> so oh, yeah. they, they can't do this at home. That's why it becomes a popular thing to do at as a street food in food carts. That's that's how it becomes popular because their house were made of paper. <laughs> so that I found it super interesting. <laughs> yeah. So that kind of reminds me of all like mm-hmm. uh, every everything well, in the US at least every Thanksgiving you hear about tons of fires happen because um because there's there's this this I this thing in of here of uh, frying turkeys in Big, mm. big oil vats or something like that in the garage um and and then it explodes and hot pours flaming hot oil all over their ceiling in the roof and yeah 
it's not a good idea. Um, but <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I've never like done it. that. Yeah. Um, but um, but now now I'm hungry. Man, it's only like <laughs> it's only seven thirty in the morning, and I'm ready to go out and get some tempura, and that's not yeah. right. <laughs> um, Can have it for lunch. <laughs> you you definitely have an accent. Um, where's that from? I I grew up in Indonesia. <clears throat> okay, but I I've I've been here for. 23 years 23 years yeah I, I came to Canada in 2000 to when I when I came like I graduated high school in Indonesia and then I came to Canada to study computer science and I guess I just stayed here <laughs> like okay. I graduated got married have children have a job and I've been here okay mm-hmm have you been uh, uh, developing Python for, uh, you said 15 years is that's, um, so that's almost that time. whole time. Yeah. Um, not the whole time, but I guess, yeah. Um, I actually, when I, when I studied computer science, I learned, we learned Java and C sharp. And my first of, my first few jobs was in C sharp, actually using C sharp. We built Windows apps, embedded apps as well. Yeah. Um, but around 2018, 2019, no, sorry, 2008 or 2009, guess, an extra one in there. <laughs> <laughs> um, my, the company I work at uh, started doing more it's a web consulting company so they started um consulting and got a job to build web applications using python and using google app engine at the time um like basically my my current project ended and i just got moved to this team that works on python so that's that's how we started i work i yeah, I, I've started developing in Python ever since. Cool. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, I think we w- definitely all of us are the better for having you involved with the community. Um, your Thank your you. talks are very inspiring and very um, emotional, often. Um, and and I think it's it's good. It's a good mi- uh, mix. Um, uh, d- Anyway, at least every all the talks I've watched of yours are, are fairly emotional. And oh, I, 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 thank you. That's fun. Um, I don't think I watched the API one. I, I, APIs are kind of my, uh, not really my thing. Everybody's thing is APIs. But uh, I, I definitely want to watch that because, um, um, yeah, I, I, it's one of those places where if people people already know this but that's where you have to focus a lot it's a kind of a combination between engineering and communication um mm-hmm. to try to get an api correct so uh. yeah yeah maybe i can talk more about this talk um there's api for that i gave it as a, a keynote at PyCon columbia and also a shorter version one at recently at women who code um summit I don't know if the talk is out yet, but basically 
I'm just telling people like how to work with third-party APIs. In my case, I use APIs to build GitHub bots to make automation, right? Just like yeah. GitHub bots uses API, it's possible because of API. As well as when I built my aquarium cam camera, I needed an API to post my photos online. Like I didn't want to host my own website, <laughs> web service to do that. So I talk about how to get started using third-party APIs because initially for me, I it was difficult concept. Like I, how is it possible I'm able to do things on GitHub, right? It's it's a third-party app. Yeah. Do I write code inside GitHub? But it's it's using APIs to make function calls to external parties. And one of the tips I share is that you got to make use of client libraries, library like Git GitHub, to abstract away the little details. <clears throat> when I learned, when I started using APIs in the beginning, I found that they would have, they would have reference, like they share, like the documentation shows, like these are all the API endpoints. This is how you need to to create API token, or you need to pass in certain request headers, and all of that, right? The, it's supposed to be the job of the client library to abstract away all of these little details. So that's that's one of the tips I share, and I guess that's why Brad Cannon created Git GitHub to have something to abstract things in Python. <laughs> so. and, that, and that's one of the things I, I often look for if I'm, I'm trying to get access to a service, a service is I will yeah. uh, search for the API, but I also add the Python keyword because I want to see mm-hmm. if people um, have a Python library or something, a wrapper around it. Um, the, yeah. The, there, I, I have occasionally, and it's actually... It's it's an interesting thing. Is people I think people should check out the API also, uh, not just the wrapper, because um, because sometimes some service might have some really good, and a lot of it comes down to documentation. Some people might have a, a fairly decent API to begin with, and um, and really great documentation around it, um, and it might not be that bad to use. And then the the wrapper, the Python uh, implementation that calls it to like you know, so that you could just have a Python library that might be like more complicated to use with worse documentation. So I guess just be careful, <laughs> but yeah, um, I, I agree. Yeah. And I think that's, that's why the, the provider is supposed to have good, yes, good documentation, good APIs and client libraries. Like, and I, I found they, they call this thing differently. Like you mentioned the wrapper, I've heard people say it um, SDKs. Oh yeah, software developer thing. kit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Slack Slack used the term SDK, I think. And at at Google, when I work at Google, we call it client libraries. Um, but some some I, I I try to look into HackMD APIs. They have APIs, but they don't have Python libraries yet. So. Maybe that's an idea for people <laughs> to. Well, I hopefully a new project. 
with Python's popularity, it, it is becoming more, um, uh, more regular, or maybe it always has been, um, that mm-hmm. there's the, uh, the service that's, that's providing this, the company providing the service, um, might support the Python binding also, or at least a yeah. Python binding. Um, so that's a decent place to look, but they also, one of the, the interesting bits I think is the, the, if it's a company supported one, they're going to make sure that mm-hmm. ev- you can do absolutely everything with the Python uh, library, but sometimes there's just too much in the API and you really mostly just want to do a handful of things easier. And so sometimes I find these more limited, uh, libraries that just, uh, just show you the common things. Um, mm-hmm. sometimes are easier to, to work with because it, it mm-hmm. you know, it hides all the stuff you don't care about or anyway, mm-hmm. uh, AP, APIs is a huge topic. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, um, what, so, and so did you think, I guess, uh, I want to swing back to, to public speaking a little bit. Um, when you got involved with, um, with Python and, uh, and everything when, at, at what point did you think, yeah, I want to, st- I want to do public speaking also. Um, actually it came, my, the, uh, the, the, the thought came kind of early actually when I, I never thought of giving talks before. I never thought it's something I would do. But when I, I attended my first PyCon was PyCon US 2015 in Montreal, PyCon US in Montreal, Canada. Um, that was my first ever conference, uh, Python conference. I've been to another conference before, um, more academic ones, um, where the presenters would be like, you know, PhD students or something, or the, another conference a small conference i attended like i feel like the speakers were all ceo of something like seems like you have to be big and high up in the ranks to be giving talks but when i attended bycon us i saw lots of people and not necessarily the ceo cto something they're just they're, they're community members are like just like me like they're engineers just like me at the time and i felt like oh so this is a thing that a person like me could do and i felt really inspired and i saw lots of women speakers as well at that time like i saw nina's talk nina zakarenko talk um ashwini i don't know how to say her last name but she gave talk as well about code reviews um and about security so i thought oh this is interesting like i saw i saw these women and i thought it's so inspiring like maybe i can be a speaker just like them that's that's when i started becoming interested in doing this just because i saw other women doing it oh that's great um yeah and i thought i didn't I think I I tried to submit a few talks after that. I I didn't get into PyCon 2016, but I did like started giving talks in that year. 2016 um, was my first talk, conference talk at 
JangleCon US. Um, and then like I just continued. Like I thought this is this is cool. It's a new skill. I wanna learn more on how to do well at giving talks. So I just I I just continued. And somehow by continuing I, I started to get invited to a lot of talks. So to a lot of conferences and events. So I just keep continuing. Yeah, I think um, it's a, it's not easy to I, I didn't think it was easy to get into public speaking. Um it's a very it's a definitely a different thing than anything else I've done in life. Mm-hmm. Um but very beneficial and I'm glad that I've yeah. taken that path. Um so it is it's scary, right? <laughs> I still I think I still like before my talk I would be even now, even last year, like I would be like I don't know, nervous. I'm gonna be pacing back and forth, like worrying. <laughs> it's it's still a scary thing. But once you're on stage, you just do what you practiced and and then it feels good afterwards. <laughs> that but yeah. that mini thing of like that even even if you've practiced a lot, which I recommend everybody do practice. That's that's my mm-hmm. big tip. Practice a lot. Um, uh, it, all the other tips don't matter if you haven't practiced your talk. Um, at least that, that's for me. The mm-hmm. uh, but um, but that whole emotional roller coaster of like I'm excited about this. I'm excited about this, and oh my god, it's scary and. People are going to laugh at me or something or whatever. Um, I always think like I'm going to forget something. I, I this I'll have a fear of just freezing in the middle and not moving. I guess I don't know. Um, mm-hmm. But all these sort of things, and then and then get like you said, giving it. But that whole mo- that a mini version of that happens. I've noticed afterwards that that happens in life all the time. Little mini versions of I need to talk to somebody and I'm not sure how to do it. Um, and, and then, but I like, okay, well, I just think about sort of what I want to say and just get it done that like many versions of, hap- of that happen all the mm-hmm. time. And, and I'm way better at those mini versions now after dealing with the big version of giving a talk. Um, okay, have you found that good. communicating in a small scale is easier now? I, I'm not sure, but I, I haven't heard it like, like that, but you're totally right that mini versions that is the mini version um i do feel easier to communicate with people now like before i probably like i people will say if you know me from before people will say like marietta is so quiet she never talks (laughs) but it i do think it it helps like i to for me to be more easier to to open up to people now knowing that people don't actually at least i know python people don't actually laugh at my talks like knowing that i'm among people i trust who will accept me and like like willing to 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 chat and listen to my talks <laughs> so i do find it i do find it useful well wonderful and, yeah and i really enjoyed having you here today and talking with you 
um, definitely a a uh, a very important and huge part of the Python community. And thank you for everything you've done. Thank you. Yeah, thank you. Thanks for listening to Python People. Show notes are at pythonpeople.fm. Please subscribe to the show. You can also follow the show on Mastodon. Follow at Python People or at Brian Aachen, both on fostodon.org. This episode is brought to you by the Complete PyTest course. PyTest is powerful and easy to get started. You owe it to yourself and your team to write clean, easy-to-read tests to save you time now and during maintenance. The Complete PyTest course will get you started with good habits and teach you some cool tricks when you need them later on. Even if you already use PyTest, why not level up? With a 30-day refund policy, you've got nothing to lose. Check it out at courses.pythontest.com. Thank you, Patreon supporters. You rock. Links to the course and Patreon signup are in the show notes. If you'd like to be on the show or know someone you'd like me to interview, reach out to me on Mastodon. I'm at Brian Aachen at Fostodon.org. That's all for now. Thanks.